In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome once again to another stop on the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, Every Black Film Ever Made. I am your host, Vincent Williams, and I am joined as always by my partner. Hey, what's up? Holla at your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. The Bat Triple. And here on episode 175 is we officially 175. begin our march towards 200. We will begin at the beginning. Yes. With the godfather of black cinema, Oscar Michaud, and his 1925 film, Body and Soul. Most famous for being the film introduction of one Paul Robeson. But before we talk about that. We like to touch on all the things going on with our Michelle missionaries um, who give us feedback via email and social media as well as in the our Facebook group. Where, um, wow, they they dropped a whole ton of news. We haven't been able to follow up on the news lately because we've been kind of like thick mm-hmm. on the show. So I'm gonna uh, this gonna might be a news heavy um, opening to the show. Wuxtry, Wuxtry, <laughs> um, stop the presses. Sterling K. Brown and Kerry Washington are going to be doing a new film. Yeah, uh, Shadow Force. Yeah. I, that sounds like a nice combination. Hey, you got—I was about to say—you got me at the cast. Yeah, you're a Sterling K. Brown fan. I, I am. I am a Sterling K. Brown fan, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Vince, do you have any plans to make it to New York Comic Con this October? I don't. I'm busy that weekend. Oh, Vince! I know. Apparently, I know. All throughout Comic-Con I know. this year. She's there like all three days, I think. Will be one Anika Noni Rose. Mm. 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 You're going to be busy that entire weekend? The Vince? entire weekend. Oh, wow. And then you know the other thing. I can never get tickets. It is hard to get tickets. Oh, they're always sold out, and I, I, I can never get tickets. Had I known that she was going to be there, yeah, I could have gotten you in, Vince. Mm-hmm. Next time. So close and yet so I mean, far. She's going to be on this coast, Vince. I know. She's going to be less than two hours away. I know. I know. Sitting there. Sitting there. Waiting for people to come up to her. Waiting. She's actually going to be a captive audience. Mm-hmm. Although my lawyer has informed me I shouldn't use the word captive <laughs> when I talk about Anika Noni Rose in public. That would be a smart choice. You had a smart lawyer there. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
You know, anticipation is building for Dolomite Is My Name, the new Eddie Murphy Netflix biopic of one Rudy Ray Moore. It's getting great reviews. According to Dim Sum, he is looking forward to this. The reviews have been positive and say even though the script is slight, the entire cast is delightful and Eddie is having so much fun and is, and is great at getting you to root for the underdogs and Rudy Ray Moore's source material is hilarious. It's it's I'm I'm really looking for the interviews with the cast have been fun too. Yeah, they've been a, done a uh, yeah. a lot of interviews that are up there for your viewing pleasure online with the entire cast. I'm also looking forward to a little movie. I know you're not looking forward to this, Vince. Oh, what Little Monsters? Is, which is a new horror flick, which will be coming out this fall, starring one Lapita Nyong'o. You know what? I actually am looking forward to it. That's the zombie movie. Yes. I actually am looking forward. It, it looks fun. It looks like a fun zombie It looks movie. fun. You know what? I actually do zombies. Really? I do do zombies. They, so they don't I, frighten I'm, Is I that am, because of The Walking Dead? I am good with... Actually, it's not because of The Walking Dead. It's for a film that I've been been going back and forth about actually throwing out on this show so me and you can fight about it. Oh, I know. I yeah, I'm a Knight of the Living Dead. I'm actually a George Romero guy. Okay. So so I, I I like zombie movies. All right. And this looks fun. It does look fun. This looks fun. Um so I'm looking forward to that. And I like that it looks like funny Lupita. Well I was gonna say I like Lupita who we know can do serious stuff. We right. know she could do she could do drama with her eyes closed. Right. But she's also shown that she's a lighthearted person. Exactly. Has fun, yeah. an effervescent smile, doesn't take herself too seriously. Yeah. And I love her just like locking onto this role and just ha- and going balls to the wall with it. And I was so impressed with her physical performance in us mm-hmm. that that I thought maybe she could be funny. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to that as well. Uh, Deadline has information about HBO. They are proposing a series starring Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes about the 1980s Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, I saw. I don't I don't I don't understand what the. What, what the hook is like I don't really or rather I don't understand what the narrative thrust is going to be well it's based on the series which doesn't have a title yet is based on Jeff Perlman's nonfiction book Showtime Magic Kareem Riley and the Los Angeles Lakers dynasty of the 1980s okay it's being produced by um, Adam McKay who's actually made quite a name for himself on the producing side yeah oh yeah um and Quincy Isaiah and Solomon Hughes have been cast as Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, respectively. It's, I think there is a story to be had there. Um, if you know a little bit about that, about that team, uh, Magic Johnson comes on as a as a um, a rookie and leads them to. The NBA championship where they beat the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, I'm sorry, man. And then not too long afterwards, I don't think it was that first year, but maybe it was the following year or something like that. He got the the coach, Paul West, 
would um, fired and replaced by Pat Riley. It actually okay. may have been that that first year. Um, and the 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 rumor over the years has been that was you know uh, Magic's doing. Um, this was in the '80s, so the NBA was coming out of their quote-unquote drug years because the 70s the nba and cocaine were synonymous okay um you had on that team you had norm nixon who was the husband of debbie, debbie allen. allen they met on the set of the fish that saved Fit- pittsburgh that's right that's my contribution to this that there you go <laughs> well i mean you might be interested in this vince it's, it's written by the movie i mean excuse me the pilot is being written by max Bornstein, who wrote the most recent iteration of Godzilla. Okay. So, and that was a good movie. Is Mothra going to make an appearance? Hmm. If by Mothra you mean Kurt Rambis, yes. Uh, Lupita Nyong'o and Danae Guerra of The Walking Dead fame. Yeah, I saw this. They are adapting a series for HBO Max called Americana. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is being reported by Variety.com. Lapita doing work. Americana. I'm, I'm not familiar with this. You know, this it was a novel about a first generation, I believe, Nigerian American. Okay. And I didn't read it, but I remember when it was out and it got good reviews. Yes. Uh, Americana tells the story of Infimlu, uh, a young, beautiful, self-assured woman raised in Nigeria who, as a teenager, falls in love with her classmate, Obinzi, living in a military-ruled country, they each depart for the West with Ifemlu heading for America, where despite her academic success, she is forced to grapple for the first time with what it means to be black. Oh, wow. That sounds pretty dope. It's mm-hmm. going to be a limited 10-episode series. I was about saying I like the team behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, and Danae Guerrera is going to be actually serving as... Um, she is writing the pilot as well will be the show runner and Nwango will star in the series. Yeah, that's fantastic. That is cool. Sisters yeah, that's doing fantastic. It for themselves. Oh, yeah. I am. I am for that. That is dope. Uh, in other streaming news, Reggie Hudlin. Yes. Has a series that will be uh, debuting on Disney plus a drama called safety. Oh, I've not heard about this. I have not heard about this. Oscar nominee Reginald Hudlin has commenced production on his latest project, Safety Deadline Reports, a Disney Plus drama inspired by the true story of former South Carolina Clemson Tigers safety Ray McElrith Bay. That's a a mouthful. Uh, Jay Reeves, who co-starred on the first season of... All-American will star as Ray with Thaddeus Mixon from The Grind and Corinne Fox from 47 Meters Down Uncaged also starring in this uh, picture as a movie which will be shot on location in South Carolina as well as Atlanta. Yeah, my whole question for that, what did Reggie Hudlin get nominated for an Oscar for? You said Oscar nominated? Oscar nominee. Yeah, what did he get nominated for an Oscar for? I don't know. Let's, let's see. I mean, we spent on that term looking up pretzels. <laughs> like, I feel like this is actually something 
worth checking out. I'm trying to think of what he would have gotten nominated for an right. Oscar for as well. Uh, he was... He was nominated... Oh. He was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture. Oh, you know why? Because he was... um. He was a producer. Oh. He was a producer on uh, Django Unchained. Oh, that's 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 a real tenuous. No, it's not. The um the the Academy Award for Best Picture goes to the. No, producers. no, I get it, but when you think of Reggie Hutland, you think about him as as a director. At least I do. Eh, so. True. So okay, but I guess he he'd have took that Oscar. No, I hear so he would have been Academy Award winning. So is so is he producing this show? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Well, that then I'll let that. All right. Fine. Yes. Right. Right. So I was nominated for an Academy Award producing, and I'm also producing this. I thought he was directing this. So that's my bad. It's like you see those those ads. It's like from the people who brought you the Matrix. Well, he may actually, but it's just be, like the the eight dudes who put the money up for the Matrix. That's true, but it doesn't say it. Actually, Angry Birds, the movie from the people who brought you Titanic. Hey, if your name's in the credit, hey, look, hey, look, I, look, that's why you pay for the credit. Hey, I get it. Um, but to your point, it doesn't say that he is producing this one, so maybe he is actually directing it. Alright, and then I, I call a little bit of a bait and switch. Well, perhaps, but look. I was like, did House Party get nominated for an Academy Award? I mean, I like House Party and I didn't think people liked House Party like that. I didn't think they liked House Party like that. What am I either. doing with my life? <laughs> House Party got nominated for an Academy Award. I mean, I don't hate play like he hates play, but I didn't think Plate was good enough to be in an Academy Award nominated film. Your girl, Ava DuVernay, continues to... Yeah, because I was to, about to start talking about A.J. Johnson. Continues to <laughs> um, smash down, like, smash down any roadblocks. She continues to champion inclusivity and global film perspective with Array 360 Films. Yeah series to mark the completion of the array creative campus and the brand spanking new state of the art amanda theater located in historic filipino town in los angeles the amanda theater will host the inaugural film series created and funded by duvernay's nonprofit array alliance for six weekends array 360 will feature award-winning filmmakers and emerging artists as a model uh, DuVernay said, Array does steep itself in inclusion models to correct long-held absences. We believe in balance from the beginning. Our Array Creative Campus was built with this belonging in mind from the first day, and Array 360 is a reflection of our mantra that everyone has a place in true cinema. That's all right. Yeah, that is dope. I love what she's doing. I love her. Um, I don't know if you've been watching. She's been hosting... On Turner Classic Movies, she's been co-hosting their Essentials show on oh. Saturday nights, um, which is where they, you know, show films that like essential, right, 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 right. And and I think more, and they've always had like interesting hosts there for a long time. It was um, Alec Baldwin was their host, mm-hmm. but for the most part, their previous hosts. 
I think pretty much went in whatever the TCM vault was sure. of the films that they had and found, you know, ones that are certified classics and sure. maybe some, you know, like underground, you know, you know, slept on stuff. Sure. But Ava DuVernay has been bringing to Essentials films from overseas. She's been um, um, mixing it up with some real underground stuff. Of course, she brought Daughters of the Dust as, in fact, an essential film. Yeah, yeah. And this past weekend, they showed uh, Akira Kurosawa's Rashomon. Nice. Which I have not seen for at least a good 20 years. Right, right, right. Uh, The film was from 1950, Mm -hmm. I believe. Black and white. Gorgeous movie. Oh, fantastic film. Come on. It was such a pleasure to sit there and watch it. And I was watching it with a couple of people that had not never seen it. Right, right. But they when when they heard it's like Rashomon, it's like that was a movie cuz so many people think of Rashomon as a about, genre. I now. was about to say, yeah. Yeah. You know? But it's like no, this is where it started. This is where it starts. This is yeah. where it comes from. Right. Um it was such a joy to watch that film and also to hear her just speak about it um, and speak so eloquently about that movie. It That's was, all right. It's real dope, man. I'm, I, I I love myself some Ava DuVernay. So, mad love to her. Um, let's see. I'm just going through the news here. Uh, Pose actress Angelica Ross. Yes. Will- Andy. Plays Candy. We'll be hosting the Presidential Candidate Forum on LGBTQ issues. Good for her. That's pretty cool. Good for her. Yeah. She's going to host the LGBTQ Forum in Iowa on September 20th. LGBTQ voters will have an opportunity to hear directly from candidates about the issues that impact their lives. That's fantastic. That's pretty dope. I love how the Pose cast is is getting opportunities. Yeah. I'm very happy for all of them. So am I. Uh, Are you familiar with the movie Tall Girl? I mean, I saw that it was coming out on Netflix, but I didn't really. It's a Netflix rom-com about Jodi, newcomer actress Ava Michelle, Mm -hmm. a 16-year-old who has yet to embrace her six-foot-one-inch stature. The trailer dropped on August 29th and it set the internet into a tailspin, according to Refinery29, uh, the writer Elena uh, Nicolau, uh, writes about, to many commenters, this gripes of a tall, white, conventionally attractive girl aren't significant enough to merit their own film. Soon the backlash to the, to the trailer was trending on Twitter. The director of the film Nzinga Stewart, oh, a black I was about woman, to say Nzinga Stewart is black. Had no idea that her first featured film was getting skewered a week before it even came out. In fact, Stewart only heard about the controversy when Kyle Alex Brett mentioned her directly. Uh, in a now viral Twitter thread, Brett, a legal counsel for independent films at Netflix highlighted Stewart's 20, Stewart's 20 year career in the entertainment industry Stewart has directed high budget uh, Shondaland shows, written TV movies and envisioned hundreds of iconic moments in music uh, 
videos. So people were like, like, why is this movie worth the movie? And it, not realizing that it was actually a black girl right. behind the film. Right. You know? Uh, and this. So here's the question. Yes. Does that make a difference? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. Um, Tall Girl Mark Seward's step into feature films, a career breakthrough whose effects were instantly felt. Um, Brett, the legal counsel, says uh, what a win for Seward is is also a win for the entire industry, given how severely underrepresented women of color are behind the camera. Before you kill a movie, know exactly who you're trying to kill. Black people and more importantly, black women aren't getting the directorial opportunities we've earned and deserve. The moment I learn a new black director is getting her first film, it's a celebration. Okay. Yeah, so it's like, you know, don't kill the, I mean, you know, learn the whole story before you start Sure, sure. You know, sure. You know, know, no one's ever accused the internet of being rushing to be mad about something. Yeah. You know, so. All right, let's just a couple more news items before we get into uh, just shooting up here. Oh, there's one story I did want to mention. Ah, Issa Rae, according to Vulture.com, yes, sir, is reportedly ready to set it off. I saw this. The Insecure Star is developing a reimagining yeah. of the 1996 heist drama. Yeah. Uh I don't know who besides Issa Rae would even have me interested in this or intrigued enough to pay attention to it. Because have you watched the Black Lady sketch show? I Still not have watched the have not watched the whole episode. I've seen a couple of their skits on like on YouTube. It gets progressively better. Oh really? So that by the end, I was all in. Oh, the season's already over. Yeah, I think it's like six, seven. It was six or seven episodes, and you know it's sketch comedy. Mm-hmm. So by definition, it's hit or miss. Right. But by the by the last three or four episodes, like I thought the first episode was really clunky, mm-hmm. but then the second episode was nice. Mm-hmm. And then from there on, it it really was more hits than misses. I do want to check it out. I, I, and the chemistry between the four main main actresses is fantastic, which is why I'm sort of interested to see what Issa Rae would do with the set it off. I'm curious with it too. Um, F. Gary Gray's 1996 crime thriller set it off in which Jada Pinkett Smith, Queen Latifah, Vivica Fox, and Kimberly Arlise star as four friends who team up to pull off a series of bank heists across Los Angeles is being reimagined by insecure uh, creator Issa Rae and New Line Cinema. Sarita Singleton and Nita Gloucester are rumored to write the screenplay. Ray will reportedly star in as well as produce the film because who would pass up the opportunity to do so? Um, the, the Hollywood Reporter is describing this as a reimagining rather than a straight remake, though that doesn't mean that you can't start guessing who the other three, lead, three leads will be because there are certain elements of a hit you just don't mess with. You know what would be dope? You know what would be really dope? If it was actually a sequel 
And it's like 20 years later and the four women have become like urban legends. And then Issa Rae's character kind of looks to them as as inspiration. And then they, you know, get into their own shenanigans, Robin Banks. Okay. Maybe you get an appearance by Jada Pinkett at some point. If, if Jada Pinkett knows like I know because she got away. She's the one that got made away with the money. Right, right, right. So she only appears. She, she's doing some Asada Shakur. She ain't never coming back. Yeah, exactly. No, 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 no. Maybe they can show her reading the paper in Mexico. <laughs> no, in an undisclosed location. In an undisclosed location. Yes. There you go. And then all of a sudden, Blair Underwood walks up. Ah, looking exactly <laughs> like he looked. <laughs> All right, let's get into our review. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Before we get into our review. Okay. I want to let people know, tuning into the, tuning into the show, you, earlier you heard Vince made a reference to pretzels. Oh, my God. If you want to know oh, what he's referring to. D- don't do it. Stay tuned to the end oh of the show God. where there will be a very special oh, you, show missions you, after dark segment. You are really you using do the not term very special loosely. <laughs> it is special. It'll be it's it's completely uncensored. I'm glad you dropped the very. So no bras allowed because <laughs> that would it would just not do it justice. Pretzel, but that will be after That'll this be episode. After the, after the, so episode. you know, after you put the kitties to bed, put the kitties to bed, and get a proper snack. <laughs> now we could or go to our review. The number one snack, wine. <laughs> Enough of this disrespect. Yeah, <laughs> let's review Oscar Micheaux's Body and Soul. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. Body and Soul, a 1925 film by Oscar Michel, is a film where Paul Robeson makes his film debut. In fact, he makes his debut in dual roles, playing a horrible convict posing as a preacher and his sweet twin brother, a would-be inventor. Michel's signature pointed social commentary is on display in this rare surviving film, one of three of his silent films that is that has survived um that we'll talk about mercedes gilbert plays sister martha jane julia Teresa russell plays isabel lauren chenault is yellow curly hines <laughs> marshall rogers is the speakeasy proprietor and starring in his film debut is paul robeson this was the choice of lynn webb Lynn, what do you have to say about Mr. Michaud's film, Body and Soul? Well, it go, it's, it stands to reason and it goes without saying that if, as we embark on our road to 200, 
that we should start with our namesake, Oscar Michaud, mm-hmm. who is a man who, you know, I think black film historians have given him his just due. I don't know whether or not film, true film historians have given him his true just due. Um, and maybe that's not fair because he, had, he does have a few films on the Criterion Collection and uh, he, he's gotten some accolades. But you, at the end of the day, you just don't want the years to forget him. Right. You know, like we, like the career of Paul Robeson is in danger of. Right. As well. So it, it only stands a reason that, that we, where, you know, this phenomenal talent, immense, multi-talented you know, individual from the early part of the century, the 20th century, um, meets Oscar Michaud, uh, you know, the granddaddy of black cinema. You know, one and I and some would say some would say some, one of the fathers of cinema in general. Right. Um, when they meet together, that it might make for something special. And I think that body and soul is that thing. Mm-hmm. It's a silent film. So again, Paul Robeson, as we as we discovered last last uh, couple of weeks ago with the Emperor Jones, is a man that is not only known for his presence, but he's also known for the the tenor of his voice. His, right. his voice is just is his voice is a, a, a being in and of in and unto itself, right? So having him in a silent film, you are robbed of a very significant part of what makes Paul Robeson Paul Robeson. Mm-hmm. So you are then left with the other thing, which is his presence, which is impactful. But it's to me, it is only as impactful as the story in which his presence is finds itself and the director moving him around Mm -hmm. as beautiful as our film last week was borderline I don't think that that took true advantage of Paul Robeson the man the presence okay I think that in this film Oscar Michaud is doing that Mm -hmm. and because it's a silent film he knows that I don't have Paul Robeson's voice and Paul Robeson at this time, I believe 27 years old is, um, a, a name on stage. Right. Right. Already. Already. He is, he's, 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 he's a, he's a star. He's a certified, you know, star of stage. And this is after his football accolades and becoming a, a Columbia university lawyer and all of that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, Oscar Michaud knows I don't have that, so I've got to put him in a position where he can still be felt in this in this movie. So that's why he casts him in two roles: one evil, one good. Mm-hmm. And knowing that good, he can pull off just being a, a, a good guy, just stand there. You know, he's got a brilliant smile. He's got right. a, we talked about how much the camera loves him, uh, can fall in love with him. So he can stand there and be like the good guy. But as evil, 
<laughs> oh, now you can really have fun <laughs> with this very tall, statuesque, you know, uh, very stark, strong features. You know, the cheekbones just like pop. You know, like hands the size of globes. Yeah. You know, um, and then you put him in this this preacher outfit with the <laughs> long coat and just and the hat. Yeah. All black. <laughs> and you just have him just just walk down the down the street, down this dusty street. You and you just like. Right, just, right, right, just right. Don't look good. This is this is the devil coming down the street, and Paul Robeson is having a ball. <laughs> he is. Ha- I mean, you can't hear him, but you could. You can feel it on the inside. He is just laughing like, "Oh my god!" It's actually so infectious. Much. It is. Yeah. You were just. It, I mean, and he's evil. Yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. you do not like this guy. Yeah. But you can't take your eyes off him. Yeah. He is just he is just chewing the scenery, having a ball. And especially against Sister Martha, played by Mercedes Gilbert, who was all doe-eyed, naivete, <laughs> innocent, you know, you know, just like can't see the forest for the trees. Like, you don't see the horns on this guy's head? Hey, she loved Jesus and she, she loved, loved her Jesus preacher. She loved my pastor. Don't yeah. you dare say nothing against my pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, like, what is happening in this movie, yeah, man? Yeah. Um. So that alone just grabs you. But then you have to remember, again, you always have to remember the time. This is 1925. This is a quote-unquote race film that's made for black people. Black Mm -hmm. people are going to the cinema, and they're used to seeing themselves as the maid or the buffoon or whatever. So when Oscar Bichot comes to town with his films that he's writing, producing, directing, and distributing on his own, when he comes to town, you know there's an opportunity to see us we are up in on screen and all are for glory. It's going to be 100% black. Let's get down. I am I am here. What you got for me? And then he got he, he, the lights come on and he's like, don't trust your preacher. Yeah. Yeah. Damn your churches. Yeah. Churches ain't nothing but another hustle. Yeah. That's and he's just and he's kicking it raw. There's no ambiguity to anything about the message that he is preaching. Um, some say that this is b- because as a young man, that's right. he, had, he had got jerked over by by a priest. So he's just, you know, paying it forward. Yeah. You know, like, hey, they got me. I don't want them to get you. So I'm going to tell you. Tell, let me tell my story. But time has told this story is as old as time. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. just oh, yeah. but in 1925, it wasn't a story that was being told. That that's what you weren't going to the movies for that. But here he was smacking you dead in the face. And not only is he smacking you in the face with that, he's smacking you in the face with um with uh, 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 uh with the seedier size of the the of the community with preachers in, in false robes you know they're not to be trusted he's you know domestic violence 
rape. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, uh, depression. It, this is a this is a hard movie to watch, man. This is like, but again, you can't take your eyes off of it because it feels as much as it as much as it does play. I mean, if you if you get lost in the trappings of it, you know, and and it it does play like a um, a little bit of a, a morality play, mm-hmm. you know, because but it's. Still is a heartfelt tale that grips you mm-hmm. and hits you, man. Um, and I think also playing a part in that is the role of Isabel, played by Julia Teresa Russell, who never acted before. No, and she, never acted again. No, she was just a teacher, mm-hmm. just cast in this role. And I think her unprofessionalism actually serves her role well. Don't get me wrong. She's she's not a great actress and right. it shows. Right. But there are moments when she's asked to emote like an emotion and it feels like she doesn't have any other way to emote it but just to sh- actually show that emotion. Like mm-hmm. she sincerely looks sad. She sincerely looks heartbroken. She mm-hmm. sincerely looks pained. Scared. Sca- scared like I don't know what. Yeah. And rightfully so. Oh, yeah. You know, when you've got, you know, this 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 being, Paul Robeson, lingering over you. Um, because he is basically makes her, forces her physically. Yeah. Not only to steal her mother's money, but then he he also rapes her. Oh yeah. I mean, um, and while they don't show it, it is for nineteen twenty five, it's very heavily it's, implied. It's a tough scene. Yeah. In two thousand nineteen. It is. It is. It is because it takes place like uh, they they survived this storm, which looked like they were actually in a storm. I think they actually were in a storm. <laughs> it was, yeah. I mean, because I was like, "Yo, there's not this much rain." Yeah. It, um, find themselves in a, a deserted cabin, you know, lighting a fire. Uh, it's it's that stark black and white. It's only lit by the the light of the fire. Um, very stark images. Oh yeah, uh, very smartly. Well, done. they almost letterbox his shoes. Yeah, walking into the room where she's changing. Right, and then you cut to her. You know, um, bare shouldered. So yeah. you're left to believe that she does not have any clothes on, and then fade and letterbox him walking out of the room. right. Which is all you need. So it's all implication, but but it is, it's actually a masterful scene. It is. Yes, yeah. it is so well done. And again, how many times has the story been told of women talking about violence beset upon them, and no one, including their family, believing them? Well, he says it. You can tell it. No one's going to believe you. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's yeah. It's rough, man. It's rough, but this is this is nineteen this is nineteen nineteen twenty five storytelling by Oscar Michelle. This is why this man is the considered genius that he is. Yeah, because he doesn't he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He's taking this opportunity that he has made for himself, and not to necessarily get rich, but to do something with it. Yeah, to do something with this opportunity to tell these stories that 
aren't being told. And and that's how many times you've heard about black filmmakers and, and black creatives. That's what they want to do. They wanted to tell the stories that aren't being told. And even in 1925, that was still this the thing. And Oscar Michaud said, damn it, I'm going to tell this story. And it's a hard story to tell. It's it's rough. It still hits you. It's It's still very cutting. Um, it's v- very raw and emotional, but he puts it, lays it all out there on the screen. So much so that the film ends on a dream sequence because that's literally the only way you can leave that film, leave this film with any type of smile on your face. But see, even that, like to me, everything that you said, like, like to me, it's, it's, it's an extraordinary achievement. But when you think about the fact that what frustrates Oscar Micheaux people so much is that his films were so heavily censored. Mm-hmm. This, 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 this um, remastering, this, this um, treatment that we've seen is based on five reels right. that have survived. This was a nine reel film. Right. So there's so much more story. Four of the reels are just lost. And mm-hmm. part of the reason they were lost is Oscar Michelle always ran into trouble with censorship mm-hmm. about violence, about language, about issues of, of the clergy, which you, you mentioned. That was one of his big deals. And, and a lot of people trace it back to his first wife, whose father was a preacher. And was a source of of stress between the two of them, eventually leading to her leaving right. Oscar Micheaux. So he was always anti-organized religion. So besides the five, I mean the four reels that were just cut and lost, censors for, forced him to add story elements. So the whole deal about Robeson's character pretending to be a preacher was a last minute addition. Yeah. Like he was actually a preacher. And then right. they said, you can't have a clergyman like that. That whole tacked on end where the mother wakes up and says, oh, it was a dream was actually tacked on. They told him, you know, you can't end it like this. So he actually called them back in and film that part. That's not the original ending. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. She falls asleep in a dream. Right. And And then dreams as if, you know, when her daughter, Isabel, comes home with Sylvester, Paul Robeson in the the, the twin Right, and then she goes and gives them the money, and then it ends with them... Coming back from the honeymoon. Right. They got like this. That whole sequence was filmed after the fact. But I thought that that sequence was the dream. Oh, oh, you mean she's actually dreamed a happy ending? Yeah, I thought that's what it said. I think the way you're supposed, no, what she was thinking, she was thinking the entire film was a dream. She pulled a Bobby Ewing. They pulled a Bobby Ewing. Are you sick? Whoa, 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 whoa. You have just blown my mind. Yes. You, so when she, when wakes, she wakes up, up she, she's actually waking she, up from, from everything that happened from before? everything that we've seen. Oh my God. I did not I did not know that. I thought your ending is actually more terrible. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> 
which I thought was like, you thought her daughter died and her money was gone, and then she just broke. Like she got broke, like it broke her brain, and then she kind of retreated into a fantasy world. Well, no, because she goes and she goes to the church, and you know. Uh, right, confronts and then it, the, right. The, the, confronts him, and then she goes home, and the sisters come and say we're going to, and then she lays back and goes to sleep. Yeah, and I thought then she was just dreaming. And so right, so you thought it just broke her mentally? Because <laughs> I did. No, no, no. Oh, the, wow. The scholarship. Yes, the history is again. Oscar Michaud's whole career. It's him battling back and forth right. with these. I know sensors. about that, yes. right? So they and I know they, about the lost reels, right? Right. And all right. That. So they told, right? They told him you can't end the movie with with basically the preacher. Even the whole thing with uh, Black Carl, mm-hmm. this detective bit that they're coming like all of that is part of the back and forth. Wow. With him and the censors. Wow. Wow. But even with that, like you said. It's a powerful film. Like what we have is powerful. And you see this great film. You know, Paul Robeson, I just liked Paul Robeson because apparently his big sin, like his big real deal is he likes to drink. Paul Robeson drinking and getting all and like the like the the like it's almost a physical humor performance with yeah. him in the liquor. Yeah. Boy. That entertained me. There's a part in the very beginning where he's kind of sloshy. Yeah. And he's trying to walk up the steps. Uh, yeah, because you see him walking down the street. Yeah. I said, boy, that Paul Robeson got the nerve to be funny. Yeah. Eh. I actually was not as fond of Russell's performance as you were. Like, I see what you're saying. But I thought she was a real, like, to me, she was the real letdown of the cast. As far as her presence coming through. Oh, no. Yeah, I hear you on that. I, I just, there were just a couple of scenes because she, you know, with all due respect, there's a woman that has a bit of a a sad visage to her face. Yeah. Uh, at least at least in this film. Yeah. Um, and there were moments where that lend itself to the action of the film. Okay. And, 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 and and in doing so, caught me emotionally. Okay, I th- I think because Paul Robeson is such a presence, and and quietly Mercedes Gilbert, who had a long long career, long well distinguished career on mm-hmm. the stage and and in film to a certain degree, since both of them had such a presence, mm-hmm. oftentimes Russell got overwhelmed I to me, you. like yeah. like you would yeah. kind of get lost on the screen, That's but. True. Very small quibble, very small quibble, and and certainly in 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 the the best scenes of the film, which are scenes with her and Robeson, she doesn't distract. No, which you know, frankly, I, I think that's really all I I need from people. When yeah, just get out of the way of Robeson. Right, just get out the way because he's going in. Because he's going in. <laughs> he's he, going in. He's going in, and I think you're right about the handicap that that these two films um body and soul and last week borderline have that you don't hear robeson's voice yeah 
But unlike borderline, I completely agree with you. It in a lot of ways it forces you and it forces Robeson to focus on other attributes mm-hmm. to his performance. And it it's a great performance. Just yeah, it is. You, you know, there's there's a section where he's he's given he, he's he's given a, a sermon. Yes. And it's a it is actually a great scene like it's actually the scene that frustrated me the most about the film being so chopped up okay because that scene that that extended sequence mm-hmm. in church mm-hmm. where you had drama you had comedy you had the physical i mean just the way he the staging of it yeah yeah it was fantastic and he he's given that sermon and you feel him like just you know invigorating you know, the congregation and there's not a title card to be seen. No, it's all in his body and it feels like church. Yep, You feel like it. if you've ever been to a Baptist yeah. service, it actually felt like church. Yeah. Silently mm-hmm. with a very limited budget. Mm-hmm. You know, how many cameras are you thinking? That's maybe two. Maybe two cameras. Maybe, maybe two. It was, yeah, it, it, it was it was fantastic. Speaking of title cards, which in a silent movie is, you know, that's what you're reading. Right. Borderline was, you know, did not have enough title cards. Right. This one, Body and Soul, had a reasonable number so that you could follow the plot along it didn't get in the way of the plot right but what do you think of and I can only assume Oscar Michaud's um, decision yeah to have the title cards that as they were spoken of the words spoken by the majority of the cast not everyone right right but the, the majority of the cast would definitely speaking in the "Quote unquote slang, right? The dialect, dialect, yeah, of blacks of that day, complete with you know um, misspellings. Oh and, yeah, and and everything. Oh yeah. I thought I asked you the question, but I'll say that that took me out of the film. Okay, um, because I have to imagine that even in 1925. Even if you know that you speak with a certain dialect. Right. Right. Um, especially in 1925, where I don't think the the fashion had been to, had yet become vogue to write in dialect. Right. Um, even if you know you speak in a dialect, you know the words you are saying. Right. You know those actual words. And more often than not, you know how to read those words and if you don't know how to read those words those are at least the words that you know on paper what they look like right to write the title cards in dialect i think is talking i don't even i want to say it's talking down to your audience but i'm not even sure if you're talking down to your audience i don't think you i think you're being a little disrespectful to them well i think the argument that oscar michelle would make was that this represents how people from this socioeconomic cast mm-hmm. actually talk right 
And therefore, it is more respectful to represent them accurately. They're, they're, how they would sound. How they would sound instead of trying to basically, quote, unquote, clean them up. Mm-hmm. Like, this is who they are. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to respect them enough to reflect them accurately. Mm. I think that would be his argument. I found it a little distracting, but it, it's 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 sort of, look it, because sometimes you're it, reading it trying to figure out right. You're what, trying to it, it helps if you kind of read it. I always tell my students you have to read. Loud, you got to read the dialect out loud. Right. So I, I did find myself trying just just phonetically reading it out loud because it was hard to understand. Mm-hmm. But one thing I will say, everyone's, like you said, most, like I think pretty much all of them used it though. No, like, not, not, I don't believe Paul Robeson's character did. But I think, believe Paul Robeson's character pretty much spoke, well, he may have spoken with a slang, slang. He may, right, right, but it wasn't as, as thick as it was. No way as thick right. as everyone else. And all of the lighter skin black characters as well as the darker skin black characters spoke like that. Well, yeah. Yeah, there Which, wasn't uh, any type of But uh, but I mean, you know, speaking to a critique that um Michelle would get. Mm-hmm. That 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 he would the light skins would right. So shown as more educated. Yeah. I didn't like it just cuz it made me work a little bit harder, but but you know, again, the fascinating thing is I think that's was a bone of contention at that time. Okay. Like you look at the black press and they would say this about him, but of course they'd also say the thing about all of the sex and 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 representing clergy mm-hmm. as being dishonest. So I think Oscar Michaud was this real iconoclastic dude. Like yep. like he wasn't thinking about the um the establishment. No, like I'm making this for the people. I'm doing mm-hmm. this. It, it's it's funny. I was I was talking about him because I, you know I told you I just finished reading the book that um, Joe Tech sent us. Right, and I was talking to my wife about, it, and she said it, and it pained me to hear it out loud because I was thinking it as I read it. He actually reminds me of Tyler Perry, or Tyler Perry reminds me of him. To what degree? His approach to filmmaking. Okay. His approach to filmmaking and his relationship with critics Mm -hmm. and his audience. Mm. Because he really was, I'm not making this for you, Mr. Columnist at the Chicago Defender who wants us to uphold ye mighty race. Like, I'm making this for the people. I'm talking to the people and I'm doing it all on my own. And I'm, I mean, it's, it really is more similarities than not. There there are, um, self-taught true, but I think that across his, his filmography, Oscar Michaud doesn't dip into buffoonery. I don't think he does either, but Tyler Perry's made Boo One and Boo Two. <laughs> I think if 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 what we call buffoonery, one man's buffoonery is another man. I'm speaking directly to my audience. Like we wouldn't call Oscar Michelle buffoonery, but people in 1917, 1918, 1920 did. 
Mm, okay. So I know. I know. It burns, doesn't it? It burns. It's like burning your throat right now. I know. But if it's going to burn my throat, it's going to burn your throat, too. I said, oh, I got to say it to Lynn. <laughs> like, if I got to do, if I got to deal with this, Lynn got to deal with this. Nah. Nah. Like, remember, it's 1926. Five. 1925. You know what's going on in 1925? The straight up Harlem Renaissance. That's true. You know who don't mess with Oscar Michelle? Nobody in the Harlem Renaissance. Really? They thought film was was an ignorant, low form of art. Like we're doing theater and poetry and we're painting and, and photography and dance. Movies are for ignorant Negroes. He ain't get invited to the cool parlor parties in Harlem. Is that is that is that really true? They they really they, yeah they ain't really rock with him. That's interesting. Yeah, they don't they ain't really rock with him. How did he feel about that? He I'm, look, I don't really rock with them. I guess he was good. He's right, like, yeah, I'm doing me. Right, you know, I paid my own path. Right, right. He was not formally educated. Right, like many of the people in the Harlem Renaissance were formally educated. Mm-hmm. So there was that whole divide. And yet, I bet they embrace Paul Robeson. Well, I mean, Paul Robeson is well, one of them. He's one of them. Yeah. But Paul Robeson was down with Oscar. Hey, well, you know, Paul Robeson is down with everybody. True. And and Paul Robeson was like, hey, you're going to give me a break in the films. Look. I'll take that, bro. I just, it's, it's, it's just fascinating to watch how we keep having the same conversations. Over and over. Over and over again. Yeah. That's all. I didn't mean to, to to put a downer on the conversation with that. But. No, that's fine. But, but that's fine. That's fine. Um, it, it, while it is a rough film to watch, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that Body and Soul is a film that you should see. And it's only one of three of his surviving silent films. Yeah. Yeah. So many of his films were lost. Yeah. Like film after film after film where where the only documentation that they have are either reviews or, like I said, these columnists mm-hmm. in these black newspapers would right. write about it. Right. So that you kind of have this some documentation. Right. Some documentation that it existed. Right. Or 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 this 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 is what bugged me out. They have like what they call the Oscar show ghost films where he announced them. He said where they're going to be, but there's not necessarily any evidence that they were there. That they were there. Wow. Yeah. Because that was the other. Here you go. Here's 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 something else. Because Oscar Michelle would churn them out. Well, yeah, I he do would know churn that. Churn them out. I do know that. Yeah, he was he was never not working. Yeah. So on something with film he's writing books i mean yeah so it's i mean i think we really just have to watch every oscar michelle film that still exists we do because they're so lost i mean this one this one where where'd this one come from like where'd they find this oh that's a good question although this was one of his more popular films so it kind of stayed on the circuit right but uh, is there not a story with this print because all of the surviving films, it's always some story. Like somebody found a print in Belgium. or <laughs> No, I think something, they found something in Belgium. Um, ah, here you go. Mm-hmm. 
Michaud's 1925 film Body and Soul was located in the late 60s. Okay. On deposit at the George Eastman House in Rochester, New York. Transferred to 16 millimeters, the picture was publicized as part of Pearl Bowser's Black Historical Film Series at the Jewish Museum in Brooklyn Academy of Music in 1970. Wow, is Pearl Bowser the sister we're supposed to talk to? I believe so. Is that her? Is that her? I believe that makes Because isn't that who... Um, it's Clarissa. Isn't that, didn't, isn't that what Clarissa said? Yeah. She said that, that a lot of this stuff came from Pearl Bowser's collection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bowser began showing it in Paris in 1984. I mean, 1981, and then part of her Black Independent Films 1920 through 1980 program that toured the United States. It was meticulously restored in 1986... And a high-quality tape was made available to the general public in 1998 for the Paul Robeson Centennial. And then in 2000, you got that uh, orchestral score by Wycliffe Gordon that we hear. How'd you feel about that? How'd you feel about the score for I actually enjoyed the score on this one because I thought it felt it fit the 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 mood of the movie and the scenes uh, a lot better than the score that was put on like uh, say on borderline i i i 100 agree with it. you i thought it was it and they had this little flourish where one of the characters would lick his finger yeah every time he went his i was like okay i like that yeah yeah i thought the score was fantastic yeah i thought it was very good very cool very soulful yeah yeah i enjoyed it um, yeah, we've got an email out trying to get a conversation with Pearl Bowser. We weren't a- were unable to connect during Blurred City, so hopefully we'll be able to sit down with her somewhere along this road. Yeah, hopefully to two hundred. Hopefully, because yeah, that is a that is a conversation I really want to have. Yeah. So this is our third Paul Robeson film now. Our third. Paul Robeson film, I believe, are maybe our third Oscar Michelle film. I, I'm sorry, I meant our third, but well, both. Yeah, how yeah, about that? Both. It's both. Yeah, so it almost seems like we're just sort. It's a formality, but would you recommend? Oh, I said, Body and yeah, Soul? People, yeah, I think people should see it. Yeah, 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 you have to see Body and Soul. You got to. You have to. You gotta, you gotta see it. It's it's, it's worth it. Um, document Oscar Michelle's work, Paul Robeson's work. Um, and also the work of Mercedes Gilbert. Yeah. Um, you know, just to give her a little bit of shine, she was an actress, novelist, as well as a poet out of Florida um, who would, like Vince said, star in more than a few films, actually had did some work on radio as well. Um she appeared in Body and Soul, also in Moon over Harlem, and she was also seen on TV in the TV series Lights Out uh, in the Green Dress episode, performed occasionally on, on radio. Um, and in 1943, she was part of the tribute to black women in America called Heroines in Bronze, where she played the role of Sojourner Truth. Nice. Yeah. And Lauren Chenault. Who mm-hmm. plays Yellow Hines was a Michelle player. Yes, like he was. He's he was in all, pretty much m- the vast majority of Oscar Michelle's films. And the last time we saw him, he actually starred in Ten Minutes to Live. Oh, wow! So, but the most important cast member 
is actually Julia Teresa Russell. You know why? Why? Because this is her first and last time acting. Like you said, as you said, she was a school teacher. But most importantly, because of her family, she introduced Paul to her older sister, Alice, who would become his wife That's right. and his partner. And and she really was the one who who held it together. Right. So oh, behind every great black man is a great black woman, a greater, greater. There you go. Black woman. So. So there you go. All right. Body and soul. And so we have begun. And so we begin. Onward and upward. Onward and upward. Down this road to 200, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, sir. Before we tell you about the next stop, I want to invite each and every one of you to send your feedback via email to mishowmission at gmail.com or hit us up on all the social medias. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Me Show Mission. Join the Me Show Mission Facebook group. And if you don't know by now, Me Show is spelled M I C H E A U X. The Me Show Mission is available in an edited form every Saturday at 1 p.m. on WPPM 106.5 Philly Cam People Power Media here in the city of Brotherly Love. And you can also wake up with the Me Show Mission Monday mornings at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University. The Me Show Mission is also a proud member of the Podglomerate Podcast Network, the Podglomerate curated podcast for your listening pleasure. Go to the Podglomerate.com for all the details about all of their shows they have there. And for all of you who are wondering what do we have planned for our 200th episode, we are working on it. Man, are we working on it. We have, we have, oh, I, I, Vince knows me. I so want to tell you right now. But he won't. But I won't because Everything is not nailed down. All the T's are not crossed. All the I's are not dotted. But once they are, boy, I can't wait to tell you what we've got planned for episode 200. But until then, and before then, comes episode 176. Yes. Which is Vince's selection. Yes, it is. And for episode 176, Vince, where are we going? Oh, we're getting the hell away from these old-timey Negroes. Oh, my God. Oh, Lord, sweet Jesus. Oh, I'm so tired of old-timey Negroes. It's Paul Robeson. Yes, and I love Paul Mercedes Robeson. Mercedes Gilbert. Yes, but even before then, I swear we've been <laughs> we've been sitting in the in the Negro in the colored part of the diner for the past two months. So next week it's it's actually quite um quite quite coincidental that that we were talking about um Enziga Stewart. Okay. And her film Tall Girl, which of course, for our purposes, we would say, well, is that a black film? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it seems like the cast is entirely white, but the director is black. And, and arguably, what goes on behind the camera is more important or as important as what goes on in front of the camera. Right. And there's a film from a director who I am keeping my eyes on because Jordan Peele tapped her to direct the remake of Candyman oh. that he's that he's uh producing and that would of course be a filmmaker named 
Nia DaCosta. And last year, she had a film called Little Woods. Mm-hmm. Starring our favorite Tessa Thompson. A bunch of people who aren't black. <laughs> looks like Lance Riddick is in it. So that's a good, that, that looks like a good time. But Little Woods from 2019. Okay. Next week on the Michelle Mission. All right. All right. We 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 jumped hundred years into the Look, I, I I cannot. I it is almost one hundred years. <laughs> it is almost Yeah, you said a hundred years. It's like damn, I can, it is almost like we are ninety four years ninety four years later. <laughs> Like, I thought about doing some Spike Lee or my other. No, no, no. I need a movie with further. People. I need a movie with some people with Snapchat. <laughs> I need somebody doing it for the gram. So, yes, need to cost a little woods next week. Nice. Looking forward to it. Yes. As. Looking forward to watching it with you, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you'll enjoy our road to 200 and episode 176 coming your way next week. Until then, he's Vince. I'm Len. In parting, we say. We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again. But this is movie news. That's movie news. That's not movie news at all. We've talked about this. You, we, I don't think we've ever talked we about have on the show. Absolutely talk. about. About you, you and the pretzel bites. What's wrong with pretzel and bites and the serial movies? killer shit? That's not serial it, killer. Nobody does that. What do you mean? There's plenty of people that eat pretzel they're, bites. When I go there, half the time they're gone. Lin, That's because people no, are eating no, them. No, no, because they didn't make any. No, it's not true. Nobody, they, they're, they're, Lin, stop. I see them. It's just, I see them sitting in the theater. That's are you, are weird you, shit. That, stop saying are that. Are you out of your mind? Look, it is not weird to have pretzel bites at a movie. That is weird. It is not. I bet it's one of the most popular snacks. You're I, saying one of the most popular. What's that mean? Behind all the rest of them? It's not behind all the rest of them. I what, bet, what do people get less than pretzel bites at the movies? I'll tell you. I bet. I, I'm willing to bet that pretzel bites are on par with nachos. You're, you are insane. So they're probably even with nachos. You don't even believe that. You I don't do even believe, believe that. that. You can't I even look me in the face and say <laughs> I that. look you dead in the eye. People love nachos. Don't nobody love no pretzel People bites. People love pretzel cheese. bites too. No, no. They do so. No, they don't. Stop. 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 That's weird serial killer behavior. <laughs> it's human-esque. It's not. The humans enjoy snacks. So when I hunt other humans, I also have to pretend that I engage in human behavior. You've just been conditioned to always be in that dry ass popcorn. Okay. You want to talk about dry? I mean, if popcorn you don't, is dry. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't put butter on it, 
Most people don't put butter on it. And I've seen you eat now, a whole bag now, of butterless popcorn. No, you have not. I at Bryn Mawr. Well, he had because he brought it to you. I was, yeah, okay. I was sort of munching. I always put butter on my popcorn now. Most people do. Yes. That's, you, yes. That's still, okay. And most people, when they have pretzel bites, they dip it in the cheese. Yeah, but nobody gets pretzel bites. That's not true. That is so not true. You know what? This is more that spades look, superiority. Man, look, it's shit. not superiority. That's what it is. I'm, I just observe. And like I, I observe. Said, I suspect you have a deep freezer somewhere in here. I have a freezer right next and, to you. And I and I'm, I will never <laughs> open it. <laughs> I will never open it. <laughs> That freezer's going to sit there. I'm going to be the stereotypical black person in the horror movie. <laughs> what you think's in that freezer? That's not my business, fam. And then the credits roll. Did you hear that noise? Yeah. You want to go look? Not really. Credits roll. Pretzel bites outsell candy at the movies. No, they don't. Bet they do. No, they don't. And any movie that they do is because people sneak in their own candy. Oh, oh now, see, now you're putting caveats on it. I mean, you're saying it's outselling. First of all, I don't believe it. You, you go, you're trying to look it up? Can we just talk? Can we talk about the movie? <laughs> I want to see how popular it is. <laughs> Mom, some damn pretzel bites. <laughs> um, <laughs> wait a minute. Hold on, I got uh, popularity. I I have to settle this. I'm sorry. I mean, okay, go ahead. Let, let's 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 follow this all the way to the end. First of all, they don't sell pretzel bites in every theater in the United States. Most, most don't. I don't think they do. I, I suspect it's regional. Regional? So, so you don't think in Los Angeles they have pretzel bites? It would not surprise me if they don't. Philly is a pretzel town. Yeah, but I've gotten them in New York. New York is a pretzel town. No, yeah, but New York pretzels are disgusting. Oh, oh. Oh, you don't like New York pretzels? No, I, I, I don't. They're not dry and bland enough for you? <laughs> you like the Quaker, Amishy, <laughs> Pennsylvania Dutch pretzels? <laughs> the people who worship a god who doesn't have like cushions on their chairs? Those are pretzels you like? No, I I just like a nice soft pretzel. Okay, ranked movie theater snacks ranked. Okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't see pretzels. You, pretzels isn't even on there. <laughs> pretzels isn't even on there. See, sometimes you just got to let you go. Like sometimes I just let you go. How big is the list? Oh wait a minute, it's going in descending order. Okay. All right, because it, go, it, it goes down to number uh, 23. 
Mm-hmm. You, you know, want to know what number 23 is? Pre- pretzels? Chips. Nobody eats chips in the movies? Apparently not, because there's number 23. Why are we talking about chips? Who brought up chips in the movies? Number 22? Hot dogs. Why are you mentioning food that no one has brought up? Okay, but I'm just, I would have thought that hot dogs would be higher. I would have thought that hot dogs would be higher, but they're, but they're not. I mean, they're higher than pretzels, apparently. No, 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 no. Number nine, soft pretzels. <laughs> What's number 10? Right underneath uh, soft pretzels are Skittles. So they break, <laughs> so they, so they. <laughs> so it's just a whole bunch of stuff that people don't eat. Like number 17 is like sushi. No, it's not. No, not. Now that you ask, number 17 is snow caps. Um, <laughs> so, so it's old timey candy and, and stuff don't nobody eat at the movies. It's like hot tamales and number 19, Babe Ruth. Now, mind you, zigzags, number 12. Mm. Um, um, all right. Number 10 is Skittles. Y- yes, right. Again, number so- nine is soft pretzel. Yes, number now nine. They break candies up. So, they, right, they break the candies. Because there's a lot of candies underneath pretzels. Right, that people don't eat at the movies. But, uh, or, or they don't make anymore. <laughs> number, this, and mind you, this is at the top 2016. As number a, 16, Cracker Jacks. Number eight, Reese's Pieces. Okay. Number seven. Wait, wait. People eat more Reese's Pieces than pretzels. Is this the hill you want to die on? Look, I understand because that's the whole E.T. thing and it's a small candy. I would expect of candies, Reese's Pieces and M&M's to be more than uh, to be higher than soft pretzels. And they both are. So I'm not I'm not okay, mad at that. Okay, you're not gonna put Reese's pieces with M and M's. Well, M and M's. Don't know why I eat Reese's pieces. They just said Reese's pieces is number eight. No, it's more popular than pretzels. Well, so are M and M's. So you're talking about a bunch of stuff that don't nobody eat. What's the first five? Number five. Now they really break down these M and M's because number five is peanut M and M's. God's sake. Number four. I feel like my life is draining away. In... What's number four? Peanut butter M&M's. That is surprisingly high for peanut butter M&M's. So, I know. Uh, number. They're delicious, though. Number three. Cookie dough bites. Where is this list from? This is from um, the movie theater snacks from purewow.com. Oh, yeah, there's a reputable site. Where do you want to go for movie theater snacks? Number uh, Nowhere, because this is ridiculous conversation. Number two is popcorn. And, and number one, what do people eat more than popcorn? Nachos? Is it nachos? No. No, no. What no. is it? Wine. Maybe this list is Maybe dubious. this list is dubious. <laughs> you did not just, just, you did not. I didn't. I will throw this microphone. Did you just waste my time <laughs> with a list that the number one snack <laughs> at theaters is wine? Oh, 
<laughs> See, y'all think it's me. <laughs> you ready to start the show? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs>